This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Cardiology and Heart Surgery Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Peter Chen, Chief of the Division of Cardiology at Berkshire Health Systems in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Dr. Chen, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me on, Laura. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about. Cardiology is such an interesting field, but before we dive into the questions, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Oh, sure. Um, my name is Peter Chen, and I'm a cardiologist. I currently am the chief of cardiology at Berkshire Health Systems in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Um, one reason why I'm really um, passionate about what I do is that I always have loved medicine and taking care of patients, and it's been that way since I was a child. Um, one reason why cardiology is so important in healthcare is that there's such a great prevalence of cardiovascular conditions in the general population, especially as we get older. Cardiovascular diseases are the leading cause of death globally, with an estimated 17.9 million lives annually being taken by cardiovascular disease. And the thing is about being in leadership, having a larger platform allows you to have a greater impact, I feel, than as an individual clinician. When I used to um, round on the weekends and cover patients um, for the other cardiologists, I'd often wonder after the weekend, you know, what would happen to them? Would they receive guideline-based therapies? And, you know, how would they do? And would I be able to extrapolate what I did individually on a larger scale at some point in life? And that's part of the reason why I'm really passionate about this, that you can have a larger platform to do something and create value for patients, improve efficiency and quality of care and clinical outcomes. Um, it Really, in cardiology, you can have an inordinate impact on population-based health. Um, there's really a significant lag between uh, promulgation of evidence-based guidelines and implement implementation of them in clinical practice. My goal is really to proffer evidence-based treatments and disseminate those treatment guidelines to other providers in the community so that we can really provide greater value for patients and thoughtful and efficient care in the community, especially now that we're really sort of heading towards a value-based model in healthcare. Um, ultimately, what I would like to do is make ca patient care more process rather than person-dependent and to achieve greater standardization in healthcare. Got it. Well, that's really fascinating to think about. And in looking at that goal to really become more evidence-based, driving value-based care, and then you know, standardizing the care processes for patients as much as possible. What will it take to get there? You know, I, I think, as you mentioned, developing some of those um, processes and best practices and having impact from your role as the division chief, obviously, is one thing. But what else do you need in order to really realize that reality um, of a more standard and evidence-based care model for heart patients? I think that's a great question, uh, Laura. I think that What's key is to have one, a critical mass of, you know, people thinking in the organization the same way and to have some, you know, formal business processes in place. As you've seen in healthcare over the last 10 years, especially after the implementation of the Affordable Care Act, there's been a large concentration in the healthcare, healthcare market and a lot of merger and acquisitions. So a lot of these practices have been acquired by hospital systems, but not necessarily integrated. And so in terms of sort of integrating these amalgamated practices, I think there has to be a real thoughtful process in doing so and some real leadership in terms of achieving standardization. It's still, I think, healthcare is in its nascent stages of becoming more process-oriented because as physicians, we're sort of trained to do what we deem to be best for the patient. But at the same time, there's some definite variability in healthcare that we should try to reduce. 
Got it. I think that makes a lot of sense. And thank you so much for going through that with us. Now, what are some of the other big issues that you're following in healthcare today? This is this is this is a very important uh, issue to me. If you'd asked me this question, say in 2019 before the pandemic, you probably would have received a much different answer. You know, about cost and um, efficiency and appropriate use of tests and wasteful spending. At the present time, I think the largest issue we face is staffing. And in many, and there are many facets of this. We have an existential challenge right now of burnout, moral injury, and fatigue among healthcare workers as a result of the pandemic due to the intense unremitting demands that have been placed on healthcare workers and of course the organizations. That's not even to mention the conflict and polarization within society regarding COVID-19 vaccinations that has only made it tougher on healthcare workers when we're caught in the crossfire between guidelines and just trying to do our jobs. Um, and unfortunately, things have become rather politicized, and that, I think, has also served to sort of fracture healthcare workers. Um, the pandemic really, in my opinion, has only served to exacerbate what many of us in healthcare felt beforehand, and it's now come to an head. Um, healthcare is a very labor-intensive, high-touch field, much like consulting. Um, staffing shortages have only negatively impacted care throughout the country and continues to be a vexing and really challenging issue. One of the root causes of the great resignation is a reevaluation of priorities in life and seeking greater meaning and purpose in work. In many ways, we have taken healthcare workers for granted and really made their jobs a lot tougher, and now we're facing a reckoning. Before the pandemic, only about a third of employees were engaged at work. In my estimation, that's probably only gotten worse since the pandemic with its attendant challenges. What we can do as leaders is that we'll have to become truly much more supportive of our employees and exhibit greater servant leadership if we're really going to turn the tide. I recently read a Sloan School of Management report that indicated that a majority of resignations were due to a toxic work environment, and we will really need to do better to ensure that our employees find value, purpose, and meaning in their daily work, and more importantly, that their voices are heard. I often quote Peter Drucker. Uh, who once opined, culture eats strategy for breakfast every day. Culture is absolutely essential in any organization, including healthcare. And we will really need to authentically improve our culture in order to retain and attract employees. Otherwise, this perilous situation will only get worse for all of us. Some of the solutions that I'd advocate is improving engagement, obtaining more frequent feedback from employees, and explicitly expressing gratitude and appreciation to them. Leadership also should be more transparent about its needs, its desires, and challenges. And I think communication is critical top, from the top down. Culture always suffuses from the top. Um, of course, lastly, I'll say compensation continues to be a hot bus button issue, as it all is, but the cost pressures have even only increased during the pandemic now with the great resignation and war for talent out there. Um, Paying healthcare workers fair market value is a great part of the solution, but unfortunately that will even put greater pressures on margins of on these healthcare organizations who have suffered losses during the pandemic and with the in the setting of the already thin margins in healthcare. Then again, I muse that employee turnover and staffing vacancies are likely far more costly, both financially and in terms of patient outcomes, 
including overtime for existing staff, employing travel staff because we can't find workers to permanently staff, and cutting back services due to the both pandemic and also to the lack of employees in certain departments. So I think basic, I think staffing, basically, Laura, is the biggest issue right now in trying to find replacements. We also have an impending shortage of physicians nationally, in, uh, especially in more fields than others. Cardiology, especially, is uh, having a dearth of non-invasive cardiologists, and it remains to be seen how we can meet the continuing demand with you know the prevalence of cardiovascular disease. I don't know how we'll be able to do it without improving our workflows, processes, and culture, more importantly. Got it. I, I think that's just so interesting to think about, both from the workforce perspective, as you mentioned, creating a, an environment that people desire to work at, being becoming a place that's really a destination for healthcare workers and really anybody who, you know, is interested in the space. And then, too, thinking about the um, specialist field and in cardiology in particular, I know it's facing, as you mentioned, a potential shortage and, and really needing to figure out how to move forward and care for the patients that will need um, heart care in the future. So when you think about those two things, are there is there anything that you're doing now or are planning on um, getting in motion for the future that really can make a difference in either one of those two areas? Great question. Uh, number one, you know, given the shortages and I think the lack of supply nationally, one, we're, we're trying here actively at Berkshire Health Systems certainly to in, um, incorporate more mid-level providers, as many practices are, in terms of meet the continuing needs of patients and to meet um, demand in the community. Also, we're really trying to educate our providers on how to sort of provide the best care and the most efficient care in concert with our mid-level providers. Um, I think culture as well, promoting an environment of psychological safety and collaboration is key. Um, one thing that I always wanted to make sure um, in taking this role is that I would always be a good listener because I think in leadership, the majority of time should be spent listening, especially to your colleagues on the front line who may see things that you don't see being a bit removed from that. And more importantly, that also facilitates engagement when your employees know and your team knows that you're committed to helping them and actively listening. Got it. I, I think that's really crucial. And, you know, in looking at um, cardiology and heart surgery in particular, how else do you see the field changing? I know you mentioned, obviously, the shortages in trying to figure out how to move forward in that regard. Are there any other big changes that you're seeing or, or paradigm shifts in cardiology and heart surgery? I think in healthcare, certainly, we will all have to learn how to do a lot more with a lot less. That, I think, is a given. Just there's a limited pool of resources and greater demands, and I think the acuity of illness is only increasing where patients now live longer and have more chronic conditions that oftentimes have medications that can be sort of at odds with the different conditions that they have. Um, that said, cardiology continues to be one of the, if not the most dynamic field in healthcare. And what's amazing in this field is the medications and procedural innovations that we continue to develop. It is rather amazing to see over the span of a decade what has occurred. I mean, we have newer medications for heart failure, um, such as SGLT2 inhibitors that have absolutely changed the paradigm for treatment. Um, we have 
small interfering RNA molecules in clarison um, that prevent PCSK9 um, translation and hyperlipidemia. We have medications like Varicugat uh, and Omicantiv for heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, and Mavacamptin for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy that we didn't have, you know, in the last um, a couple of years ago. It's just amazing. I think that things that we that give me hope in the field, um, precision and personalized medicine, will hopefully become more mature and play a greater role in risk stratification and providing targeted cardiac treatments. Also, um, artificial intelligence and neural networks and machine learning are still sort of an inchoate phase, but will mature and improve our detection of cardiac disease, which we already have a little bit with electrocardiograms, atrial fibrillation, and cardiomyopathies, and then strain imaging and echocardiography, which we can detect subtle myocardial abnormalities from chemocardiotoxicity, and also detecting of amyloidosis and hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Um, the remote monitoring capabilities that we have with wearable technologies, such as the Apple Watch, Cardia, um, Mobile, and then, of course, catheter-based therapies, transcatheter aortic valve implantation, Watchman implantation, um, transcatheter end-to-end replacement mitroclips, and leadless pacemakers and ICDs. These are all amazing technologies that have matured so much um, in recent years. It, it is amazing to watch. Absolutely. Wow. I think, you know, in laying out all of those different things, the evolution of technology and, and really what the possibilities are for treating patients because of that, you know, is just fascinating. What are you most excited about for the future? I, I think, Laura, the continued maturation of technologies and advancements in the field. I mean, the one thing about cardiology is in cardiology, the medications and devices have to surpass some of the greatest thresholds for FDA approval compared to some other fields. And because we have to conduct such robust trials to gain approval for these medications, it is impressive to see what we've been able to produce despite these um, hurdles. And, and I don't even think we've actually even scratched the surface yet of what we can do in cardiology. I mean, and if you even look back five, six years ago, what we have now is so different than what we had then. And the field just continues to evolve. It is quite breathtaking, you know, and that gives me hope because it's such a dynamic, innovative, and life-saving field, quite honestly. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Chen, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really interesting discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Well, thank you for having me on, Laura. I really appreciate it.